Hi, this is Paul Donison, and this is Confronting Our Idols, our Lenten podcast, which is a companion to our printed devotional. Each week, we'll be asking questions about various idols, and this podcast is meant to help unpack a little bit more of the detail and get you thinking. This week, we're talking about success as an idol. And you may think we're stretching this a bit by taking something as ethereal as success, the idea of success, and making it an idol. But look at the community we live in. Plano and the North Texas area, an extremely successful community. Monica and I saw this four years ago when we moved here most clearly, most quickly, when we looked at the school system. I mean, Plano and the surrounding school districts are incredibly competitive. There's a ton of pressure on students from an early age to do well in school. And why is that? Well, because we want to do well in school so that our kids will get into great colleges and therefore will be set up for success with great careers, right? We use that language all the time as parents. We want to set our children up for success. And again, That's a good thing. Education is a good thing. Getting into a good college is a good thing. Success, achievement, looking looking with a orientation to the future that says, I want to do well, is a good thing. Idols always begin as good things. But in time, when we turn them into an idol, we'll become a replacement for God and we'll become an ugly, broken thing that will, in fact, possess us and take over our lives. And that's exactly what success does. See, Craig Gay, who we had speak here a few months ago, uh, has written a book on technology and the gospel. And part of what he says about technology, the concern we need to raise about technology, again, a good thing, so many good things in technology, is it creates in us a sense of practical atheism. Because every time we advance as human beings in our technology— we essentially find more reasons that we don't have to rely on God anymore. That's always the creeping temptation. And and success is the same thing. We look at success of what can I achieve? What can I make? What can I do that will secure me? That my success actually becomes that which I trust in. We live as if we don't really need to rely on God if we're successful. Now, the thing is, with success as an idol— there's obviously some major challenges here. I mean, idols will always ultimately corrupt us. Part of it is, first of all, if you or I achieve success or some definition of success, if we achieve that, if we get there, if we arrive at a place of success, then we are tempted to begin to believe that it was all on us, that it was our merit, that we achieved this. And of course, for the Christian, that's a lie to believe that whatever success I have is from my own doing, right? You think in terms of Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think this is probably the most powerful section of Deuteronomy when, and, and very central to what Deuteronomy is really all about when, when, when it says, and it's a long quote, but let me, let me just read this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 to 18. I would like to like plaster this on the back of my car or something. Like it's, it's way too long to read at a stoplight. I'd cause accidents. But Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 to 18, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command to you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, definition of success, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget 
the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was, was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you to test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, the prideful heart is always going to be tempted to believe that when we get to that place called success, that we achieved it on our own. And that's a lie for the Christian. But it's also a lie even for the non-Christian, for the secularist, right? A person who doesn't believe in God, even if they come to a place of success, And they begin to believe, well, really, this is because I worked hard and I achieved all this. There's a great uh, article in The Atlantic by a guy named Robert F. Frank from a few years ago where he wrote about the the topic of the article is why luck matters more than you might think. And what he's arguing in the article is that when you look at successful people, they have this what psychologists call a reverse or a, 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 a hindsight bias where They look back on the various choices they make often, and they're tempted to believe it looks like, you know, it all was was organized by them, that they could see it coming, that, of course, these things came together. I I helped orchestrate these things. But in the reality, when you look at how all these events come together that creates a successful business, a successful um, career, that there, in fact, are all these variables that have nothing to do with the person's personal, direct, intentional involvement. Uh, quote-unquote, luck. There's things that just sort of fall into your lap. One person gets lucky, the next person doesn't. Now, of course, on a Christian podcast, when I say lucky, obviously, we're speaking in secular language here. You can talk about the blessing of God or, or God's foreordained purposes. But the point being that when you look back at your life of success, even if you're a non-believer, you have to be honest that you really did not have the brilliance and the foresight and the omniscience to be able to make all these choices in the right way. Some of this simply fell in your lap. As I, I like to remind my children on a regular basis, you did not choose the circumstances into which you were born. I mean, there's so many variables in a person's life, just where they were born, the family where they were born into, and the opportunities that come from that, that they had no control over. And the same person who grew up and was born into the slums in India, would they have the same opportunities to come to that place of success where you have? As E.B. White uh, wrote, uh, luck is not something you can mention in the presence of self-made men, right? That people who believe they've really made their own future, their own success, you can't talk about luck. No, they're convinced that they did it on their own. And it's, it's just, it's wrong. It's not accurate. But also, when we look at the idol of success, if we don't achieve success alternatively, Right, there's all the problems if we succeed, if we do actually get to that place of success, then we believe, we're tempted to believe that we did this on our own. But if we don't achieve success, then we, on the alternative, believe that our whole life is a failure. We've got no value, no dignity, no meaning. I'm not successful. We begin to set human value based on what we achieve, right? which ultimately leads us to utilitarianism which says that a person's value and dignity is only found in what they can contribute to the tribe or the culture surrounding them, their usefulness. 
uh, Arthur Miller in the Death of a Salesman, fabulous um, play. And I never, I never got to do Death of a Salesman as an actor. I'd love to have have played Biff as as a younger actor. And now I guess I'm probably closer to the Willie Loman age uh, as a person to play this 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 sort of anti-hero Willie Loman um, in this Death of a Salesman. And and again, for those who are not familiar with Arthur Miller's piece, it's it's sort of a picture of the of the typical American salesman on the road, right? Who spends the entire play convincing his wife and his son and and everyone around him and even tr- even trying to convince himself that you know he really is a success and 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 that and he's he's you know the next the next sale is what's going to launch him into that final place of 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 grandeur and quote unquote success. He's always searching after that bit of success. And in Willie Loman's life, the whole thing's a lie. It all begins to crumble, and suddenly all the things that you think are true about Willie actually prove out prove to be lies. And near the end, and 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 just I mean, spoiler alert, I mean, he takes his own life at the end of the show. Um, he gives up because he's not a success, he's a failure. In his mind, if he can't be that success, then there's no point in carrying on. And there's this moment when he's meeting with an insurance salesman who is is selling him insurance and he's, he's, he's taking out a loan to pay his insurance so that he knows that if he takes his life, that his family will still be taken care of. And, and Willie Loman says this, he says, funny, you know, after all the highways and the trains and the appointments and the years, you end up worth more dead than alive. And it's this sort of central line for Loman in this show. This is the moment when you realize that his whole sense of dignity and self-worth is based on success. Success has become the idol for him. And because he has not achieved it, he is ultimately worthless and has no dignity. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Right. This is the problem with success as an idol. Either we we get to that place of success and we say, oh, I did it all on my own. Or if success is our idol, we don't ever get to that place of success. We're always chasing it and we feel that we're failures and we have no dignity until we get there. And here's what's interesting is even those people who do achieve incredible success, here's the other thing they find. If you make success an idol, you find out when you get success that it's not enough. Uh, there's a quote from Tom Brady uh, in the 2005 interview with 60 Minutes uh, after he won his third Super Bowl. He says this. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? It sounds a bit like Alexander the Great, right, who they say, um, you know, after he conquered the whole known world, wept because there was nothing else for him to conquer. He was, he was in his 20s, wasn't he? In his 20s, had conquered the known world and said, I, I weeps over it because there's, there's nothing else to do, right? Even when we arrive at a place that we call success, it's not enough because the idol of success, any idol, is never going to fulfill us the way God can fulfill us, right? 
we've turned something into a replacement for God, and that thing will never be able to do for us what God does. But here's what we really need to grapple with is ultimately that this idol of success is antithetical to the gospel. It's it's the opposite of the gospel. This idea that my value and dignity is found in what I achieve is the very opposite of what the good news of God and Jesus Christ is. Right? The gospel, the good news is that you're not a success as a human being. The good news is that you actually are a failure. You've sinned. You've broken down your life in the most essential ways of your relationship with God, with others, even with yourself and creation. You are a sinner. And and in those words of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, I think are, are such a picture of, of what the gospel is related to success. It's this, it's this version that says, ultimately, you are a gigantic failure. And so now you can maybe begin to hear the good news of grace. See these words again, a long quote from Ephesians chapter two, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul writes, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I mean, right there, children of wrath, the definition of absolute failure to be human. And then verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. This is what the gospel is telling us, that we are ultimately not successful in the most essential way we're called to be successful as as human beings. We are not successes. And as a result, we as great failures have to fall onto God's grace and mercy that we have to receive that, that the, the good news is that God loves failures, that he loves those who are not successful, that he loves us even in spite of our great brokenness. So, okay, every week we look at not only an idol, but we also then look at a particular discipline that will help us combat this idol. And this week we are looking at various uh, you know, various disciplines within the Christian tradition. The w- discipline we picked this week to combat this idol of success is silence. And and you may say that's a bit weird. I mean, and I agree. It's sort of like, is it a bit of a stretch? Here's why I don't think it is a stretch. I think silence really does address the question of status. Maybe this is just speaking into my own life as a very verbose, verbal person. But in social settings even with those closest to us, isn't it true that we are constantly tempted to make our conversation, our speech, the words we use, kind of all about success? Did you have a good day today? 
a good, did you have a good day today? Let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you about this cool thing that I did. Let me tell you about this great idea I just had. Let me show you this thing I did or or, or whatever. And, 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 and when you look at that, suddenly it kind of is all about, or at least it's a temptation, to talk to another person so that they could sort of revel in your success, your smartness. Smartness even a word? Clearly, if I'm asking that question, I guess I'm not very smart. Um, right? your, your beauty, what you've achieved that day, silence stops this. Silence literally you know, makes us shut up and stop talking about ourselves and, 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 and asking through our words for others to appreciate our quote-unquote success. I go on a yearly silent retreat, and I find that in that week away in silence where I will not speak except in the four hours of worship during the day, um, in that yearly retreat, I find myself becoming more human as I stop talking because it's less about me explaining to the world how I think I'm successful. And suddenly I get to stop talking and be ready to hear God say something different. The words of Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. This is the call for the discipline of silence. To take some time, an hour, a whole day, to take time this week to be silent. And as you do so, to recognize what your words are usually all about. And also then in that silence, to hear God speak the gospel over you. The gospel that is antithetical to the idol of success. The gospel that says, yes, Paul, I know you're a failure. I know you're not successful in so many ways in your life. But I love you. And I've shown you mercy. And I've shown you grace. My prayer for you and for me and for our whole community this week is that we will be a people who truly can enter into this season of Lent, attending to this idol of success, do the daily examine, see it for what it is, repent of it. And as we get quiet, as we get silent, to see God do a work on our hearts, to see God smash this idol in our life. So I hope you pick up your copy of our Lenten devotional, Confronting Our Idols at Church, or you can download uh, the devotional online at christchurchplano.org slash Lent. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.